Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 119. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping, backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar, scroll down to Sellers, and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael Aventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkey's Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You've sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this! This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davey, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys! Plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? 
Announcer. Announcer? That's me. <coughs> Get headquartered. A timeline of the monkey solo years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. I just turned in my book about Pac-Man, and I have no news about the Warren Kremer book or the TTV scrapbook or the Disney book. I'm still working on my Mad Book, the Kool-Aid Man article, as well as articles about the Richie Rich comic strip and Charlton Comics. Letters, we get letters. Here's another comment about a recent episode from Barefoot Bears. They say, Spanky and our gang were great. Sunday Will Never Be the Same was my favorite song of theirs. What Spanky did with her voice in that song, Sunday Will Never Be the Same, with that sort of reverb in her voice was so great. Anyway, my son does rap music. I would love to hear Spanky do a collaboration with him where she raps a few words. Wouldn't that be great? Anyway, love this interview. Send Spanky my love, and thank you for the great memories and for being a significant part of the songbook of my life. On today's show, we have a returning guest to talk about his latest book. Last time he was here, we discussed his book about Bigfoot. This time, we discussed Jesus for his new book, Jesus Christ Movie Star. Here he is, Phil Hall. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast. And today we have a guest who's been on the show before, but not on the video version. <laughs> uh, here we have, he, he's an author He's an actor, uh, he's a commentator, he hosts his own podcast, which you'll have to refresh me of the names because you've changed around a little bit. Uh, so here he is, Phil Hall, how are you? <laughs> okay, Mark, thank you for having me on the show, or having me back on the show. I've been on the, on the show, show yes. mm-hmm. uh, some years ago with one of my earlier books. Yes, it was about the Bigfoot book, which we might mention a little bit later, but... Uh, uh, so tell me a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, all the different things I mentioned. You can mention your podcast, you can mention some acting roles and uh, what the current book we're going to be talking about. And uh, we'll take it from there. And I have a bunch of questions about it. So go ahead. Well, I am Phil Hall. And as you've said, I am a writer and have been for many, many years. I'm the author of 10 books, a new book, which is coming out on June seven called Jesus Christ Movie Star, which details how movies have depicted Jesus from the 1890s, the beginning of the silent movie, to today's digital cinema. I have also written books including In Search of Lost Films, uh, The Greatest Bad Movies of All Time, The History of Independent Cinema, the weirdest movie ever made about the Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot film, which you also alluded to, Uh, I also last year wrote my first play. It was a radio play based on Moby Dick. Uh, It was actually performed by the Nutmeg Junction Radio Theater, and I played Captain Ahab. You can find the the broadcast online, and the uh, play itself is sold as an e-book from Bear Manor Media, which is my publisher. Uh, I am the host of the online movie show, which is a weekly podcast heard on SoundCloud. In fact, you've been a a guest on the show a few times, and these are my favorite episodes. (laughs) And I'm also the co-host of a weekly radio talk show called Nutmeg Chatter, which is syndicated on six stations in Connecticut, 
and heard online at nutmegchatter.com. And you've also been on two of those shows, too. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> a lot of cross-pollination going on between us. Yes. And I think that's why I didn't know which podcast, uh, because I knew there was some newer ones and name changes and stuff. Online movie show, I do remember. It's just the other titles I did not. No. And, and as you mentioned, I'm also a movie actor. I've not done the movies uh, in a while. I've been focusing on writing and broadcasting. But I've done about 25 films. I've also appeared in several documentaries uh, as myself, strangely enough. So, uh, But I've also been a movie critic going back to the late 1980s. When I was in college, I was writing for the New York Daily News. For many years, I was writing for Film Threat and for Wired Magazine. And now I have a weekly column on Cinema Crazed uh, called The Bootleg Files, which uh, focuses on... <laughs> Films and TV productions that you can only find in unauthorized uh, duplications, either posted on YouTube without copyright permission or sold on bootleg DVDs. And I've been doing that since about, uh, I think, 2003. And so it's been going on for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Quick question about that. I mean, have I'm sure there has, but I mean, has any of your columns uh, sparked a release of anything? So now there's yes. a legitimate release because, hey, this might be worth releasing now that uh, Phil's talked about it. <laughs> yes, there was a movie some years ago called The Noah. It was an avant-garde film by Daniel Burla. It was shot in Puerto Rico starring Robert Strauss. You might remember him from uh, Starlog 17. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, because of that column, uh, Pathfinder Pictures uh, was able to track down the original negative and restored the film and put it on DVD. So that's the one film that my column has been able to unleash. But there have been <laughs> other films that I've written about over the years that eventually wound up in commercial release, including The High and the Mighty, uh, Anna Lucasta, Morning Becomes Electra, and uh, Let It Be, which actually was one of the first columns going way back. That's uh, supposed to be coming out, but it's been right. delayed so many times. I don't know if it ever will, but uh, right. I'll wait and see. Yeah. Well, the latest is it was uh, supposed to come out in 2020, but because of COVID and everything, delayed till probably this fall 2021. I mean, at least they did a sneak preview of it on, I've seen it on Disney Plus and YouTube of, you know, the, the like a five minute footage reel. So it looks like it should legitimately come out this time. So. Is it going to be on Disney Plus? I, I don't know. Well, really I mean, the, the, the ad for it is. It's like a five-minute promotional for it, and it shows uh, – so any subscriber can go on it now, or if you don't want to, go on YouTube. And uh, it's just a five-minute piece that just shows various footage. I think um, uh, there's a couple uh, just general interviews just saying, hey, this is coming out, and blah, 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 blah. But they didn't give an official release date still. Um but I think it was supposed to be fall of 2020 originally, so I expected in the fall. Got to get those Christmas sales, even if the original movie came out in May of 1970s, so whatever. <laughs> anyway, uh, enough of the, those gods. <laughs> Let's talk about <laughs> Jesus Christ movie star. <laughs> um, when you first told me about this, I was like, that's the best title ever. So <laughs> let me ask you this first, and I don't even have this written down. Did you come up with the title first, or did you start writing and then come up with the title? Oh, I, the title came later. Okay. Uh, it seemed like the only possible title, and it's really not an original title. I have Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice to thank for that. But, uh, no, 
I've usually have the titles come after the books begin. And that's where uh, the weirdest movie ever made, the Bigfoot book. Yeah. Uh, it, I started writing it without a title because I didn't know what to call it. It wasn't until it was finished that I decided to call it the weirdest movie ever made because, in my opinion, it was the weirdest movie ever made. So. Yes. <laughs> Weirder than the movies in this book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's that's another, another book and another episode. But, no, I, at first I was concerned that it might be seen as either being flippant or it might just be seen as... Uh, Oh, he's ripping off Jesus Christ Superstar. But so far, I've not gotten any negative comments on the title of the book. Yeah. I thought it was very clever and brilliant. And uh, there is a bit, you talk, you do talk about Monty Python's Life of Brian. And that's why I asked this, because such movies come from just flippant comments. Is that, And you talk about it in the book that Eric Idle said, uh, somebody asked him, what's your next movie? And he just said at the end of Holy Grail at a press conference, Jesus Christ, lust for glory. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, then after they thought about it, they go, hmm, maybe we could make a movie. And of course, it got retooled as a movie about Brian, not Jesus. But Jesus does make a couple token appearances. And so it's worthy of a mention in your book, at least that. So um, my main question is... Um, how did you arrive at your selections? I mean, you gave me a copy of the book, so I kind of paraphrased through it. You know, it's like, you know, it's a pretty quick read. It's only about 150 pages, so it's not like it takes forever, like my books that are like 700 or something. Um, and you kind of qualify in the intro what you included and what, what you didn't. But uh, how did you arrive at your selections for the book? Well, uh, the reason the book is... Uh, I think it's close to 160 or 170. I don't remember the exact number. But uh, I decided, well, I couldn't write about every single Jesus movie because there are too many of them. In fact, I'd have uh, about 10 or 12 books if I was to do every single film, including television films, educational films, uh, direct-to-video uh, to films, even a couple of uh, VR films, too, for the virtual reality crowd, which I found fascinating. Wow. So I decided... <laughs> I would only focus on theatrical releases. There, there's uh, one exception in there, which we can discuss later because of historic importance, but theatrical releases about the adult Jesus. So I don't have films uh, related to the nativity. There are several wonderful films about that, but yeah. that's, uh, that's not really where I was looking for because everybody is like, oh, what a cute baby. And it's like, oh, that's, that's yeah. not... And then you have a slew of Rankin-Bass specials or whatever. <laughs> Things oh, <like> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, there actually, I, there's, I think, one animated film in the book. Uh, it was a puppet film uh, that came out in 2000. But uh, yeah. otherwise, there were live-action films. <laughs> and I wanted to try to get as many, if not all, of the films that meet my parameters. And... The research was it was extensive and exhaustive. In fact, when the book was ready to go, I was still finding stuff that mm -hmm. I wasn't aware of. And it's like, oh, well, stop the press, stop the press. It's like, well, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, yeah, stop the press. I have to put this in. And so uh, I believe it's the, the most comprehensive book on theatrical releases of Jesus-centric cinema, starting from the 1890s, as I mentioned, uh, which surprised me in doing the research because... I didn't realize there were so many films about Jesus that were made in the 1890s. And the reason I wasn't aware of them is because 
they don't exist anymore. Most of them are, have long since disappeared. And for whatever reason, a lot of film history books on the silent era don't mention these films. Hmm. Uh, if they do, they'll start with uh, From the Manger to the Cross, which is 1912. But there were a slew of films prior to that. And it was an eye-opener for me to discover these films. And I hope for the people who read the book, they'll be uh, inspired too, because this is an aspect of film history that I genuinely was not aware of until I started doing the research. I freely admit that. Film historians, I guess historians in general, always like to go around saying, I know everything. Well, I thought I did, but I was wrong. And I, was, and I, I saw the research as being a wonderful learning experience. And I, I really hope that the book is for the reader a wonderful learning experience because it's just fascinating how much has been made over the years. There are the famous films, but there are also intriguing and somewhat bizarre obscurities that I've been able to unearth over uh, the course of my research. Hmm. Now, you said uh, that uh, you obviously don't have access because the films literally don't exist anymore. So without revealing all your secrets, how did you find out about them if they're not really around to, to look at? <laughs> I was digging through books uh, that I was not familiar with and going through research papers online, and there would be brief mentions of these films, and so I started to try to do more research. I had a clue to start with and kept searching and searching. Uh, I actually, in a way, prefer researching to writing because it's... It's like archaeology. You're, you're digging and digging until you find something. And I was digging through so much material. And sometimes just by accident, I would find things that I wasn't aware of. For example, one of the stop the press moments came. I found something on a website about Philippine movie making. Mm. And there was a 1972 Philippine film called Jesus Christ Superstar, but it was not the Broadway mm -hmm. musical. Yeah. Uh, they, it was a musical, but they created uh, a new score with a Philippine cast. And I saw they have a poster for it online, but I've not seen any pictures of it. And I have no idea where to find the print. I assume it was not released outside of the Philippines. And that country has a rather dismal history of preservation. So I'm hoping that the film is still extant somewhere over there, though uh, there's a good possibility it's not. Mm. Okay. So on, on films like that, I mean, what do you do? I mean, is there enough to write about? I mean, I guess, you know, obviously the life of Jesus is the basis yeah. for for Jesus Christ Superstar, and you can kind of fill in the dots. But did you know that that's what the Philippine movie is about? Was it taking the same story as the Andrew Lloyd Webber film, which actually was a soundtrack album originally, or just a album story, you know, originally? <laughs> So. I believe I believe it was just a Philippine ripoff of the okay. uh, Lloyd Webber Rice musical. So, uh, from what I can see of the poster, uh, it was also a modern dress uh, version, as opposed to the, uh, the sort of disco, a, a Judean clothing mm -hmm. that they had in the Norman Jewison film. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then you know the obvious thing, you know, is like how did you arrive at yourself? What caused a film, to, you kind of touched on this at the beginning, but what kind of, what caused a film to be eliminated from your list? I mean, was it purely that, like, like some of these ones that came from 1890, were those just general release, however they released yes. films back in 1890? Yes, they were. They were general okay. release. Okay. They were theater. Well, there, there was no home entertainment. So right. uh, these were all uh, 
public exhibition film. So it fit into the parameter that I'd be focusing on a theatrical release about the life of the adult Jesus. So that's how they got in there. Okay, so the ones that would be eliminated are just ones not designated for a mainstream audience per se, or not viewed, you know, I, I mean, you went over a few of them, but I mean, it's like, where's the fine line, I guess, like, if you see a documentary, you know, is, right. does that count if it was a wide release or no? It, well, yes, if it was a theatrical release, it would, if okay. it was, if it was done for the educational market, or for television, or direct-to-video, it wouldn't. Uh, there, there have been relatively few documentaries on Jesus that went into theatrical release. I think the most famous uh, one is uh, In Search of Historic Jesus from Sun Classics uh, in 1980. And if you're old enough to remember the Sun Classics movies when they came out, they, they were a lot of fun for the wrong reasons. But uh, yes. <laughs> that was one of them. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, and I wasn't even thinking about that one, but uh, yeah, the one that came to mind, which isn't a Jesus film, but just a biblical film, is you know, in the mid seventies. There is In Search of Noah's Ark, which you know got a pretty wide release, and I well, think that, that's reasonably well yeah. considering it didn't really, you know, yeah. confirm or deny its subject. It just said, yeah. you know, which kind of left you hanging. You're like, eh. you know, that's what I always remember when I saw that. But uh, anyway, this is about Jesus, but I was just kind of curious where the final, were, was there any that you were on the fence about where you said, oh, and then you said, I'll put it in yeah. because of such and such reason. Yeah. Um, Parable, which came out in 1964, and that was shown at the New York World's Fair. Hmm. Uh, there was That was a short film. Um it sort of blurred the lines between theatrical and non-theatrical because uh, the World's Fair people didn't pay admission to go into the pavilions to see it, mm. but it was on the big screen. Uh, and that film also, uh, Billy Graham had a film called Man in the Fifth Dimension mm. that was also at the World's Fair. So those two are in the book because they are, uh, it's first of all, the idea that you'd go to a World's Fair and see a movie on Jesus is kind of interesting that there are two rival films on the subject uh, is even more. Man in the Fifth Dimension is a, a documentary, more of a film essay than a documentary, but it's a fascinating movie, and you can actually find it online on YouTube and the Billy Graham uh, Ministries website. Parable as well, I believe, is online if you look for it. Okay. Uh, I also make a, just a passing mention of Godard's Hail Mary, which is, uh, again, a nativity-related film, which is not supposed to be in the book. The only reason it's mentioned, and it's mentioned in passing, is because uh, the Pope uh, came out against it. And this was at a time in the 80s when they were, uh, started to have criticism of movies that were considered controversial, like Life of Brian and uh, Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, I did not write about films where the central character th believes they're Jesus. Uh, films like uh, Ordette or Jesus of Montreal, they're wonderful films, but mm -hmm. it's not the focus of my book. This is a this is another interesting topic, but not the topic I was going after. So uh, you won't find them in the book. Right. Um, well, ones that kind of blur the line, but it is still arguably the story of Jesus is like God's spell because it's yes, kind of like a group of hippies, you know, kind of putting on a show as it were in a certain respect. And, you know, it started off as a uh, musical play on the stage and if I remember correctly this is the Toronto version that launched the careers of like everybody that ended up on Saturday Night Live and SCTV <laughs> you know, pretty much 
so I, I, I saw that was in there, and you said that Victor Garber was like one of the tallest Jesuses. Yes. I didn't know we knew that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know we knew how tall Jesus was, but anyway. Um, yeah, so I could see why you put that one in there. So are there any more? You said the ones you just said where people believe that they are Jesus or something, uh, any more that kind of blur the line like that that didn't make the cut? Or the, No, that, that was about it. I mean, God's, Godspell was actually one of three musicals that came out in 1973 about the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus Christ Superstar was the second, and Johnny Cash had a film called The Gospel Road, which was uh, also more of a film essay it, it, not a documentary. They obviously had reenactments of uh, Christ's life. June Carter Cash played Mary Magdalene, which was kind of <laughs> interesting. Uh, she got to sing the song Follow Me, the John Denver song uh, mm -hmm. in the movie, and it was a very nice rendition. Uh, <laughs> Cash's film is, is idiosyncratic, but it's sincere and mm -hmm. uh, has a wonderful country gospel score going for it. Uh, it was my favorite of the three of those musicals that came out. Speaking of favorites, that was my next question, actually. And uh, do you have a favorite uh, Jesus film of all the ones that you wrote about? <laughs> well, uh, I would say, and it may not be a popular uh, opinion among a lot of film critics, but it would be the greatest story ever told, George Stevens' film. Because uh, a lot of people feel it's, it's overlong and it's plodding and... Uh, <laughs> all of the star cameos sort of uh, uh, are distracting. It's sort of like it's a mad, 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 mad world in ancient Judea. So. And, but I, I found the film to be uh, beautifully photographed, uh, beautiful production design. I liked Max von Sydow's performance. Uh, it's probably the most um, accurate to the Gospels uh, compared to uh, many of the films, which often take uh, rather severe liberties yeah. uh, with the story. Uh, so in that sense, it's uh, this is the one that, uh, if it's ever on television, I find myself watching it, yeah. uh, even though I've seen it so many times. I, it, it never bores me. Even, even though it was shot in, like, Utah, Arizona, and Nevada, and stuff like yeah. that, and looks well, it, unfortunately. <laughs> well, it's it, that's a bit... Weird because I mean some of the backgrounds obviously are not the Middle East. There's uh, Jesus walking <laughs> past snow-capped mountains. Yeah. All right, it, it's artistic uh, license, but it's uh, it's not artistic liberty. It's not that uh, uh, the way that King of Kings, the uh, both the DeMille and uh, the Nicholas Ray versions, uh, completely rewrote so yeah. many aspects of the story that uh, it, it, they become comedies really instead of uh, religious dramas. True. I mean, I do like the greatest story ever told, but yeah, it is a fine line. Is like, is this? Do I like it because it's pretty good, or do I like it because it's kind of like, like you said, Mad Mad World or Around the World in eighty days? How many cameos can you find in this film? So, uh, you know, uh, I, I enjoy different Jesus films. Of course, you you mentioned why you don't uh, cover this one, but, you know, I do have to mention it is my favorite probably of a straight Jesus film is probably Zeffirelli's Jesus of Nazareth, but since it was made for television, it couldn't be included. Yeah. Unfortunately, I was like, I was kind of hoping maybe it had a limited release somewhere, you know, but anyway, you know, <laughs> um, 
uh, going back to greatest story ever told, you, uh, I know that there is like different lengths and even the version currently about out on home video, I don't think is the full length version. Does that version still exist anymore or is it kind of lost to time? As far as I know, if the original director's cut exists, it's not anywhere to be seen. I know United Artists had a policy of uh, throwing out footage that was jettisoned from films. <laughs> Actually, uh, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World had the same problem. Uh, there was yeah. the original Roadshow version, and then the general release was much shorter, but the Roadshow version wasn't preserved, and it spent, uh, people had spent years trying to track down the missing footage. So that's the same situation. <laughs> yeah. Story old. yeah, and I think even now, even with the Blu-ray version, there's like still like about five minutes missing in Mad Mad World after all this time. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's all another story for another different time. Um, now, you've already kind of answered this, but I'll ask you again. Uh, have you seen all that you've discussed? I mean, uh, of the ones that still exist, I'll rephrase it. Have you? Did you sit through every film or did you just kind of scan through it and get a gist of jesus's performance or what were you looking for i try to see every film that is available uh some films that came out of uh latin america and the middle east and asia i've not been able to track down but i basically did as much research as i could to describe the film uh and get a consensus from those who had seen it as to what the contents were uh i tried to watch the films from start to finish, some of the films were somewhat unwatchable, to be honest, but uh, not both quality control and also uh, language, because uh, there are versions of these films that are online, but not subtitled. So I could piece out what the story is supposed to be uh, based on who's on screen, uh, their image and how they correspond to sacred art. But uh, those were a bit difficult to sit through. Mostly were fast forwarded, so I had an idea of what the production looked like, the style of the acting and the directing. But uh, to be honest, I couldn't really sit through two and a half hours uh, of footage where I have no clue what anybody's saying. Right. Now, you mentioned on The Greatest Story You Ever Told uh, that that one, apart from what I said about where it's shot, um, was probably the most authentic to the actual Gospels in the Bible. Um, are there any others that are more accurate or just as accurate or conversely so far off the mark? I mean, barring like Godspell or something like that, but you know, that, uh, you know, what, 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 yeah, what, well, what have you observed I said, overall? Yeah. Well, um, Pasolini's gospel according to St. Matthew Okay. So that would be uh, an obvious choice. There was the Canadian film, The Gospel of John, which mm -hmm. came out in 2013, mm -hmm. uh, which was taken from The Gospel of John. So uh, there's that. In terms of just going crazy, I mean, something like uh, Nicholas Ray's King of Kings invents a character who is a centurion, who somehow is always there wherever Jesus is <laughs> from his childhood through uh, the arrest of John the Baptist, through... Uh, trial in front of Pilate, and it's like, why, why do we need this person? He's not in the gospel. It doesn't make sense. Uh, Day of Triumph, which was uh, the first uh, film, actually from the 1950s, it's an independent film that had a, a walking, talking Jesus in color. Uh, 
Uh, <laughs> actually, Jesus was more of a supporting character. They brought in Lee J. Cobb playing a zealot who tells the story of Jesus in flashback, and his character is nowhere to be found in the gospel. I guess because they, they didn't know what to do with Lee J. Cobb, they were able to get him, so uh, let's turn him into a zealot. It was a bizarre viewing experience. Uh, I mean, there are, there are films that obviously uh, use the Jesus character in uh, ridiculous ways. There was a, a short film called uh, Jesus and Hutch, <laughs> which is a take of the old 1970s cop shows with uh, Eric Stoltz <laughs> as a gun-toting Jesus who gives, uh, when he catches the criminals, he gives them a very different uh, idea of what turning the other cheek means. So... <laughs> It's just, I don't know, so it was uh, why somebody thought it was a good idea. Uh, I think probably the worst film that I've seen of the bunch uh, was something called The Divine Mr. J, which was an underground movie uh, made in 1971 uh, in Detroit, of all places. And the film probably would have been forgotten except for the fact that uh, the Virgin Mary was played by uh, an unknown singer-actress named Bette Midler. Mm. And... Uh, <laughs> The, the title, The Divine Mr. J, was not the original working title, but after Bet became a big star, right. uh, in 1974, <laughs> the filmmakers were able to cobble some money together, and they called it The Divine Mr. J, and opened it in New York City, and Bette Miller promptly sued them. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so that the film closed very quickly. Uh, it's online, actually, under its direct-to-video title called The Thorn. Mm. And if you search on YouTube for The Thorn, Bet Midler, you'll find it. You will not thank me for it, but it's there for <laughs> those who want to see it. And I think in the book you talk about it, this is like probably more obscure than those, is like a couple por pornographic films with Jesus at least. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, there's a notorious movie which is uh, still lost, even though it was made in 1974, called Him. Mm. And that was an X-rated uh, gay porn film. Mm. Uh, and in the book, I'm happy to, uh, to say uh, that I have, uh, first time published, we have a picture from the movie. Because many uh, yeah. years, all, all we knew about the film was the poster art that appeared in the Village Voice and some other underground newspapers. But uh, somebody had sent me a picture of an actor who was billed as Tava playing Jesus. And uh, Jesus is uh, not wearing any clothing and holding his cross in front of, I think it's a hardware store in Lower Manhattan. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, if you're curious what uh, him looked like, uh, I can give you a clue as to what it looked like, not why it looked that way, but it's uh, <laughs> that showbiz. Strangely enough, I guess it's just because of all the weird films I've heard about over the years. I had heard of that film before, and, but you know, like everyone else, had never seen it. I didn't know if I wanted to see it, but it's like, I didn't know it was that hard to see. I thought it was just no. like any other 70s porn film like Deep Throat. It was around. You just have to find it, but I guess not. <laughs> no, because well, Deep Throat was very popular. It was, a, it was yeah. a mainstream porn film. This was a gay porn film, so it had a very limited release. Mm -hmm. if, they were, if they were two prints, there were probably a lot. And uh, the film, it's funny because the film's considered lost. Uh, some years back, I did an article for Film Threat about uh, what I had considered the most sought-after lost films of all time, mm -hmm. and I included him in that. That's probably where I saw it. It's probably your article. <laughs> and what had happened afterwards, there was a huge 
controversy online. Uh, there was a group of uh, movie archivists who said that I was stupid because this movie never existed. And the reason they said that is because most people learned of him from a book called The Golden Turkey Awards, written by the Medved. Yeah, I remember that book too. Yeah. In The Golden <laughs> Turkey Awards, there was uh, one hoax movie planted by the Medveds. And people assumed that him was the hoax because who in the world would make a gay porn <laughs> film about Jesus? Well, I knew it was not a hoax because when the book came out, uh, the Medveds in the book invited readers to contact them with their ideas as to which film was the hoax in the book. This was 1979, so obviously no internet. You had to write a letter to them, which I did. And they responded very promptly, very polite. And uh, they said, um, they told me what the, the hoax film was. I had I assumed it was another film in, that they cited, but no, the, the hoax film was something called Dog of Norway, which never existed. But uh, him did exist. And then uh, a website, which is no longer around, called Fishbowl New York, which covered the New York media industry, covered uh, this controversy with myself and the film archivists. And then Andrew Sullivan, if you're familiar with him, the political commentator who's openly gay, read about this, and he's not a fan of Michael Medved. Mm. And so he issued a public challenge to Michael Medved saying, uh, where did you see him? Did you actually sit in the gay movie house watching this movie? And Michael never responded to him. So mm. uh, most likely he's, he learned of it from a review because back then in the 70s, uh, people may today might find this hard to believe, but uh, porn films actually were reviewed in mm. Variety and in the trade papers the way that mainstream films were. In fact, if you, if you picked up your community or daily newspaper, I lived in New York City, so we had the Daily News and the New York Times, and you open the movie section, you'd see the uh, Radio City Music Hall and, and the uh, the Rivoli, but you'd also see the Pussycat Cinema uh, <laughs> advertisements in there. And actually, for many years, Deep Throat uh, was advertised in these newspapers. And uh, yeah, it's, it's funny, you, you don't imagine anything of that could ever have happened, but that was the seventies. It was, uh, it was yeah. a lot more fun then. <laughs> now in the California newspapers, just for a comparison, I mean, I remember the ads were very explicit for the paper. And then in the eighties, they started getting a little bit more discreet, like uh, cleavages weren't shown as much. They started drawing little lacy things to cover up, <laughs> uh, you know, things like that, or, you know, cropping the photos up. But they never did reviews. That's really amazing to me, is reviews of porno films. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, this is just out of left field, but I asked this when we did the Bigfoot, and I asked you, do you believe this thing about Bigfoot? So I'll just ask you again, do you believe in Jesus, or is this just a pet project for you? No, I do believe in Jesus, and that's why I did the book, because uh, for many years I wanted to become a minister, and I did uh -oh. not the career. So this was my way of uh, bringing common ground between my faith and what became my career, which was writing about movies. And it was, uh, I could say it's something of, of uh, a lifetime journey that's uh, finally come to uh, crossroads, which uh, was probably long overdue. Hmm. Okay, very interesting. Uh, is that how you got the different ministers to 
give their uh, commentaries at the beginning, you know, their uh, forwards and uh, <laughs> prefaces and <laughs> comments yeah. and narration. Well, and there's, uh, there's one forward by Reverend Caleb Scott Evans at uh, Holy Trinity Anglican Church in Plainville, Connecticut, which is where I go to. And there's, uh, there's a, a quick uh, advanced praise from Judah Thomas, who runs Thrive Church, also in Connecticut, who's a friend of mine. So that's how they got into the book. Got it. Okay. All right. And then I happen to notice that I got in the book, but <laughs> so I do appreciate it. See, I actually read it enough to see my really? own name. I wasn't even trying. It was like, a special thanks to Mark Arnold of Fun Ideas Podcast. And I was like, wow, hey, cool. Anyway, um, so what should somebody take away from this book? What are you trying to accomplish? I mean, obviously, you, you can say anything you want, but I mean, are you trying to convert anybody or are you just trying to uh expose uh, a side of films that usually is overlooked what was your ultimate goal i i want to show how filmmakers look at the subject because we look at uh, the life of jesus in so many different ways there's, there's really no one definitive way to to study the subject and I found it fascinating just how it has evolved over the years uh, from the earlier films, which seemed like uh, living tableaus come to life, uh, almost like Renaissance paintings uh, that move, uh, recordings of passion plays. And over the years, uh, productions became more elaborate, then more intimate, more irreverent, <laughs> uh, and back to uh, a degree of reverence, and then all, something even more contemporary. Uh, I have a, a section in the book uh, called uh, The Bro Jesus, where we have uh, more recent films where Jesus, uh, he's the son of man, but it's, he's also somebody you could go to the bar and have a, a beer with. So <laughs> uh, I was thinking of uh, The Shack, for example, which is uh, uh, a strange film. At least to me, it's a strange film where... Uh, well, most of the film is, is basically Sam Worthington looking around like, what's going on here? But uh, <laughs> we, have a, uh, we have a Jesus wearing a plaid shirt and, and jeans who's racing on the water with, with Sam Worthington. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, they were <laughs> not my cup of tea, but uh, there are people out there who mm -hmm. like it. Actually, a lot of people did. It was a very big hit film. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's just showing how this evolved over the years and uh, whether you're religious, whether you're not religious, I, I think you could get something out of the book. If you're religious, you could see how uh, the interpretation of the New Testament has evolved or perhaps devolved, depending on how you look at it over the years. And if you're not religious, it's just how filmmakers were able to deal with uh, the issues uh, that sometimes raise controversy, uh, particularly charges of anti-Semitism. Uh, the uh, wide rewriting of the book to uh, score political points and push an agenda. Mm -hmm. And uh, then going to the other extreme, of course, is just having so much fun, like like Jesus and Hutch, that it, 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 the Jesus becomes a punchline. So <laughs> uh, there, there's really something for everyone in the book. You could see it as a uh, celebration of faith. You could see it as a celebration of filmmaking uh, or cultural history. So take your pick. Right. Very good. Um, you mentioned a little bit earlier that uh, Max von Sydow is probably your favorite Jesus, 
but we didn't really elaborate on that. So care to elaborate a little bit more why you liked his performance particularly? Uh, physically, uh, Von Saito looks like uh, an Orthodox icon come to life. Uh, he's tall, he's gaunt. Uh, he obviously is Swedish. Uh, he has uh, an interesting accent. It doesn't quite fit in with everybody else in the movie. And that's another drawback of the film is that the accents are either New York or London. So uh, in ancient Judea, either you came from Leicester Square or the Grand Concourse. And, uh, and then you have the way he was speaking, it was somewhat it was a halting manner. Uh, there was an otherworldliness about him, uh, which always moved me in a way. Uh, other actors uh, tried to bring a humanity to Jesus. Uh, Von Sydow, I think, tried to bring more of a divinity, which is not the easiest thing to do as an actor. I think he pulled it off. Uh, I was particularly moved in uh, the crucifixion sequence at the end when, when life finally exits from him. Uh, his eyes don't close, but you realize that life has left his body. It's, it's a remarkable uh, piece of dramatic work. And uh, I think it's one of his, his finest performances. Hmm. Very good. Uh, just as an aside, and I mentioned, I, I wanted to mention it earlier, but we got sidetracked, of course. Um, my dad, uh, and well, my parents used to go to various films over the years, and they were raised in the church, as was I. Um, they <laughs> went to see King of Kings with Jeffrey Hunter when it first came out, and this, my dad said this way back, you know, for years, and it's just a funny line. Uh, he said that at, as my parents were exiting the theater, uh, he overheard some other couple, somebody saying, it just, it looked just like him. <laughs> <laughs> And I go, well, I guess, you know, because, you know, there is argument about how Jesus is supposed to look and how he really looked. And, you know, we don't really actually know for sure, but he probably didn't look like Jeffrey Hunter. <laughs> Who knows, you know. <laughs> no, but it's funny because Jeffrey Hunter mentioned that uh, he got a lot of bad reviews for the movie. Yeah. But he also, over the years, uh, had received a lot of fan mail from people who said they were deeply moved by his performance. So again, we, you, you look at something else on the screen, and there's no definitive way to dissect it. I mean, some people see camp, and some people see uh, passion and, and something that's emotionally uh, moving. Right. It's the same film. So right. it's all in the eye of the beholder. Right. In the long run, I guess it's probably one of his three best-known roles since he died so young. Is yeah. you know that Cap Captain Christopher Pike in Star Trek and uh, uh, the Great Locomotive Chase for Disney. Those are the three movies I can think of that he did. Oh, what else? The Searchers. Sure? Searchers. Oh, okay, The Searchers. I forgot about that. That's right. Hey, it's one of the greatest movies okay. ever made. Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, he died young. But uh, yeah. he did a few things. So he's kind of like a James Dean in a certain respect. He's known yeah. for a few three projects. For yeah, and, and you know the funny thing is that very few people ever point out that. Uh, he and John Wayne, who co-starred in The Searchers, of course, were together in The Greatest Story Ever Told, because John Wayne right. was in <laughs> the which is the, the mad, mad world moment, of course, in the movie. Right, sure. you know, and a lot of people yeah. do make fun of that, but, you know, yeah. I don't know, I think it was kind of cool to have Wayne in the film. <laughs> um, 
barring all that, you know, so we said Sidow seems to come off as best in your eyes. Who who do you think of the films you've seen? Let's not go into him and all the other ones, but yeah. worst Jesus performance uh, that you've seen. I'll leave it to those. <laughs> all right. uh, I don't know if it's the worst, but it's my least favorite. Yeah. And I guess some, some of the viewers will not like me for saying it, but uh, Willem Dafoe in mm -hmm. Last Temptation of Christ, I couldn't stand the film, I couldn't stand him. Uh, the, the idea of, of the, this, this neurotic, weak, whiny Jesus to me was extremely unappealing. And yeah. I had a lot of difficulty with his performance. Uh, it's not really his fault because it's the material he was given and the direction. I didn't think Scorsese was the right person. Uh, to do a Bible film, it, it's you, know, <laughs> you start watching the movie and immediately there's Harvey Keitel with curly red hair, really, uh, as Judas slapping about uh, Willem Dafoe's Jesus uh, li like they're the Judean forerunners of the the Goodfellas cast. It's like what, what is <laughs> it? Just make it, it didn't make any sense at all. And so, yeah. uh, and of course, he was uh, Dafoe was. Uh, sitting outside Mary Magdalene's bordello, which of course is obvious Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute, nothing in the Testament that said so. It's just like, all right, it's going to be one of those films. And uh, to me, I, that was probably the most grueling film. I mean, they were incompetent movies like Divine Mr. J, but at least uh, you're, you're not expecting very much from an underground movie made in Detroit, but you're expecting right. a little better from Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Um, I tended to avoid it, and it wasn't because of what you said, because I heard about the controversy when the film came out. Yeah. I, and I do like Sc most of Scorsese's films. There's a few other duds. I, I'm not one that's a Scorsese worshiper 100%. But um, my biggest qualm about it was just, uh, you know, the, the overall kind of approach. And I think that's what, what you were saying. And it had nothing to do with uh, taking liberties of the story. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, so I only saw it the first time about a year ago. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when I was looking at it, it's unfortunately that I saw Sp Amazing Spider-Man first because I thought of him as the Green Goblin the whole time. <laughs> so, such as watching a movie out of chronological order, but hey. <laughs> um, let's see. So if you find that there's a number of films that you didn't uncover that somehow miraculously show up, or strangely enough, in the next decade or so, a number of new films featuring the life of Jesus come out, would there be a volume two or an update at least of this book? Yes, I said there would be. Um, I was hoping there would be. Uh, I know that there's uh, Terrence Malick's production, which is underway while we're speaking. Uh, there's supposed to be a documentary uh, about Jesus and homosexuality, which is supposed to come out this year. Uh, if there are enough films coming out that warrant uh, an updated version, I would do it, certainly. Very good. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'm pretty much out of questions. Is there any other things you might need to say about it that I haven't brought up? Or you know, is that yes, pretty much it? Yes. Go ahead. Uh, the book is called Jesus Christ Movie Star. It is published by Bear Manor Media. It will be available starting June 7. You can get it on Amazon and all the other e-commerce sites where they sell books and also from bearmanamedia.com. Very good. And if people want to get in touch with you, just say, hey, I have, I have this movie in my basement. It doesn't have to be about Jesus, but it might be for your bootleg files or something else. How can they reach out to you and contact you? 
Well, they can reach out to me through um, the online movie show, which is on SoundCloud, uh, from Nutmeg Chatter, which is at nutmegchatter.com. I'm at Cinema Crazed, which is cinema-crazed.com. Or go to Facebook, go facebook.com slash Phil Hall, and boom, it's me. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Phil Hall, for being my guest again. We'll have you back every time you write a book. Or, hey, if you just want to shoot the breeze about uh, more <laughs> gay, homosexual uh, Jesus films, we can do it. So, uh, you uh, know, but it's always... <laughs> <laughs> but it's always a pleasure talking with you and being on your yeah. show. I will say uh, that. I'll get, I'll get back to you on that one, but I, I appreciate <laughs> having me on the show. Thank you, Mark. All right. Thank you very much. We'll talk soon. And that's it for uh, Fun Ideas Podcast. And today, again, my special guest was the uh, writer, actor, performer, great all-around podcast host, Phil Hall. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Phil Hall, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 120 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Danny Salazi of the characters and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.